I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in Ephesians. We've been walking our way through this important book, and we will spend our time together this morning looking at verses 1 through 9 of Ephesians chapter 6, talking about the issue of authority. And even as we begin to do that this morning, I want to have just a little bit of fun with you, church. And so I need you to help me out here, and if this describes you, feel free to put your hand up. How many of you have ever heard someone or something being said to the effect of, you're not the boss of me? (laughs) Or maybe something like, who died and left you in charge? (laughs) All right, keep your hands up if, if that's you. Now, how many of you have had someone say that to you, okay? How many of you have had someone say that to you in our kids' ministry area? Anybody? <laughs> no? Let's, let's press a little bit further in. How many of you have actually said something like that to someone else? I see two hands up from one person over here. You know, it's interesting how we respond to authority. And as we've been walking our way through the book of Ephesians, as we've journeyed through this important letter together, written to this important church in an important city in the Roman world at this point in time, what we've seen is Paul laying out in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, this is what Christ has done in your life if you are our a believer. This is how Christ has transformed your life. This is your new identity in Him. As we've walked through the first three chapters, what we'll see Paul do over and over and over again is lift our eyes up so that we behold and see Christ and what He has done in our lives. So that we would look and recognize that we are no longer who we used to be. We are no longer in darkness. In fact, we've been transferred into the kingdom of light. We're no longer objects of God's wrath. In fact, we are now as believers, objects of God's incredible mercy and grace and inheritance in Christ his son. For us as believers, if you are a Christian here this morning... That is your identity in Jesus Christ. And what we saw beginning in chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians is Paul lay out for us in light of your identity in Christ, in light of your life being transformed, here's what that does to impact the way in which you live. Now we said that it's oftentimes flipped. We often think we just are supposed to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, spiritually speaking, and the reality is, Paul says, that can't, it can't take place. In fact, he says that it's impossible for us in our own strength and in our own power to live out the Christian life the way God intended. We are desperately in need of his spirit at work within us to strengthen and enable us to live out the mission that he's called us to live out. 
And so for Paul in this moment, as he begins in chapter 4, he walks us through the relationships that all of us experience as believers. In the first part of chapter 4, he says, here's how you are to live within the church. This is what this should look like. And then in the next few verses, he says, now widen your lens a bit and look at the culture around you. Look at how you are to live within this culture that is oftentimes hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's how you are to be a light in this dark world. And then as we talked last week about the issue of marriage as believers, how do we live and conduct ourselves as believers in marriage? And now, as we come to the text this morning, how do we as believers respond to authority. And what Paul is going to do is analyze in these verses that we'll cover this morning two relationships. He's going to analyze the relationship of children and their parents, one relationship of authority, and then he's going to analyze a relationship between a slave or a bondservant and a master, and we're going to unpack that just a little bit as we begin to walk through those verses for us not to minimize what's taking place in the Roman world. We'll talk about that in just a little bit, but for us as we look at this passage, it's probably most helpful for us to think about it in the relationship of an employee and an employer or a worker and a boss. And so as we look at the text this morning, we're going to talk about how we respond to authority. What does it look like for us as believers to do that well? I want to read the text for us and, and we'll walk back through it together. This is what Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants or slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants or slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant, a slave, or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes, that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears, that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 
As we look at the text this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together as we cover these verses in Ephesians chapter 6, and it's this truth, our identity in Jesus Christ will greatly impact the way we respond to those in authority over us and exercise authority over others. So our relationship with Jesus Christ will greatly impact the way that we respond to authority that is over us and the way if we are in authority, we exercise that over others. I want to give you just a little bit of context. First, in the verses 1 through 4 of Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to talk about the issue of children and parents. Parents, some of you are delighted because your teenagers are in here this morning. You're like, preach, pastor, preach. Some of you are thinking, why did the kids just dismiss out? Some of you may be terrified that maybe pastor is going to come down hard on us as parents this morning. And here's what I want you to know. As Paul is writing this, he is writing to a culture that had a very, very, very low view of children. In fact, children oftentimes were viewed as nothing more than property as scholars have gone back and read letters and read correspondence that took place within the first century. What they find out is that many fathers had no desire to take the children that they had. In fact, there's correspondence that goes back and forth that says something to the effect with one dad, if it's a boy, I'll take him. If it's a girl, I don't want her. So you've got to understand that as we're walking through the text this morning, that Paul is writing to a group of believers in a pagan city that is known for idol worship, that is known for sacrificing children to gods. You've got to know that as we step into this and as we consider what Paul is writing here, it would have been absolutely revolutionary for the believers in Ephesus to hear. So God's standard and how we're to conduct ourselves as believers in this important relationship for them, they would have looked back and said, wow. And yet as we think about that, it's important for us to recognize and understand that this is simply Paul declaring under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, not only the standard, but giving us a glimpse at God, our Heavenly Father's great love for us as His children. So as we look at the text this morning, I want you to take note, beginning in verses 1 through 3, Paul writes to children. And I want you to notice what he says here to children. It's the first truth that we see here, and it's that children are called to obey their parents in the Lord and to honor them. Notice what Paul writes, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Children, it is a righteous thing to do to walk in obedience to your parents. Now, Let me always throw in the caveat both in these verses and as well in the verses that we're going to cover in just a little bit. The only caveat, carved out exception here, is if a parent were to ask a child to do something illegal or immoral or unethical. Caveat. But outside of that, 
children. Paul writes and says that it is right for you to walk in obedience to your parents. That to live a life of obedience towards them is the right thing to do. One of the phrases we use in our home consistently is delayed obedience is disobedience. So that means, children, we are called to walk. Some of y'all are like, let me write that down. But children, I want you to know that walking in obedience to your parents is an important thing. In fact, it gives evidence of what's going on in your heart. It gives evidence of what God is doing in your heart. It gives evidence of whether or not your heart is softened to the Lord. Because here's the important thing to recognize here. That second part of verse 1, in the Lord is important. Because here's what we all need to understand, that our parents are given to us by the Lord. So when Paul writes here, children, obey your parents in the Lord, what he's emphasizing, what he wants us to recognize and understand is that your parents as a child are God's emissaries in your life. They are essentially God figure in your life. We know they're not God's, but they are to represent God in your life. And ultimately they are in Subordination to the Lord who is over them as parents, but they are over you for a purpose and a plan. That is the way God designed it. That is the way God instituted it. And as you obey your parents, you are ultimately walking in obedience to the Lord. I want you to notice verse 2. In fact, here Paul is going to quote from the Ten Commandments. And he quotes, honor your father and mother. And in parentheses there, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in land. Paul says this is nothing new at this point in time. And I want you to know that in this culture, this was not revolutionary. This is not the part of the verses that we look at this morning that anyone would have had any objection to or anyone would have looked at and said, that doesn't make sense. In fact, they would have said, absolutely, you recognize and realize that a parent at that point in time could just do away with a child or sell a child into slavery if they so desired if the child wasn't obeying or pleasing the parent. So this, for us, is not a surprise. In fact, as Paul writes this, he's calling back to the Old Testament. He's calling back to the Ten Commandments. And one of the commandments was for children to honor their fathers and mothers. And Paul puts the parentheses there that this is the first commandment with a promise. And that promise is that as children do that, that they will live long in the land, that they would prosper as they walk in obedience to their parents. I want to say to you, if you're a teenager here this morning, dial in with me right now. You look and say, Pastor Michael, you don't know the kind of parents that I have. They are crazy. I'll talk about that in just a second. We'll go there. 
I have a teenager myself, so like I understand sometimes where your mind is at this point in time, but here's the challenge from the Lord to you through the Apostle Paul to walk in obedience to your parents because God has placed them in authority over you for your good. And as you walk in obedience to them, here's what the Lord says, you will experience blessing as a result of that. Now, it makes natural sense when we think about how parents interact with young kids. If a parent is looking at a child that's about to run out into the street and the parent yells, no, stop, we look and say, well, that child's probably going to live long in the land. They're not going to get run over. That's a benefit. But you may look and say, but what about me as a teenager? I just want you to know, Researchers tell us, lean in, your brain is not fully functioning until you are 25 years old. That's not, I'm not making that up. Look at the research. That everything up here doesn't connect for you to be able to make wise choices. And so I want you to know that you should listen to your parents. Walk in obedience to them. They have wisdom that you have no idea about. Listen to them. Walk in obedience to them. Now you may look at this and you say, Pastor, I am so glad that you're talking to kids here. But let's be honest, all of us are kids. All of us have parents, and our parents may have left this earth, but I want you to hear me this morning. If your parents are still alive, these verses call us to honor them. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to honor our parents. I saw this a few years ago. My wife lost her dad when first few years of marriage and then just a few years ago ended up losing her mom as well. We were on a trip with our whole family, her whole side of the family. Mom's sick, goes to the emergency room. Doctor comes out and says, I've got bad news. Stage four pancreatic cancer. There's nothing that we can do. And church, I want you to know, I watched my wife put everything aside and her sister put everything aside and her brother put everything aside for two and a half weeks as they honored her mom in her last days. Some of you have older parents. I want to encourage you that one of the greatest things that you can do is honor them as they get older. You look and you say, man, they sometimes are such a burden. And I can assure you, when you were a baby, you were too. And they changed your diapers and they fed you. And you have an opportunity to honor them well in their last days. Here's the thing that Paul wants believers to recognize and understand the way that we respond to those in authority over us greatly gives evidence of what Christ has done in our lives. 
I want you to notice the second truth in verse 4. As Paul turns his attention from children, encouraging them to obey their parents to parents. And I want you to notice that Paul calls parents not to provoke their children to anger, but to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Verse 4, fathers, and you could add mothers there as well, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, as we think about the first part of that, of not provoking our kids to anger, I want you to know this was absolutely revolutionary for Paul to write to a culture like what was in Ephesus. There would have been absolutely no concern whatsoever for parents at that point in time to really care about their kids a whole lot. Kids don't like something, we can get rid of them. Kids don't appreciate us, we can send them into slavery. But what I want you to know at this point in time is that Paul is saying to parents, do not provoke your children to anger. As I worked through this passage this week, one of the most helpful commentaries that I worked through was John MacArthur's, and he gave eight ways that parents can provoke their children to anger or provoke their children to wrath. And it was so helpful for me as I was working through this passage and as a parent to think through how are ways in which we are guilty of doing that? How do we need to watch the way in which we interact with our kids? And here's what John MacArthur says. First, that parents smother their kids. Now, all of us have heard the term helicopter parent, right? Some of you are like, I'm proud, I've got it on my back windshield. Sticker's there. But I want you to know something, that is one of the worst things that you can do is smother your kids. To not let them make any decisions themselves, just to have your hands on every single thing that they do. It's one way that we as parents can bring our children to anger second one that he emphasizes is favoritism. I have a younger brother, 14 years younger than me, and I joke with my parents all the time that he is the favorite child. You may do that as well. You may have siblings and you, you, I just hurt you right now. You're thinking, I know what you're talking about, pastor. But parents, I want you to hear me. Don't show favoritism towards one child over another. We see an example of that with Joseph. See a dad who loved that son more than any of the other kids that he had, and we saw what that brought in terms of havoc into the family. But parents, don't show favoritism of one child over another. Third one that John MacArthur says is don't push achievement to the point that your kids will never measure up to the standard that you set. All of us want our kids to achieve. All of us want our kids to make something of their lives. But if your standard in that is far beyond anything that they could measure up to, then they will live under the crushing weight of that for their lives. 
Fourth one he says is the issue of discouragement. Parents, don't discourage your kids. For them to be constantly living in an environment of discouragement. Fifth one he says is viewing children as an intrusion in your life. I want you to know, parents, that children are a blessing from the Lord. They're not an intrusion in your life. And there's times, and I'm speaking to myself here, when we need to put our phones down or turn the TV off and engage with our kids. Where they intrude in what we want to do, and the truth is, they don't need to be an intrusion in our lives. We need to view them as a blessing from the Lord. He says, number six, not allowing children to grow at their own pace. Hear me this morning. Kids are going to act like kids. They're going to laugh. They're going to roughhouse. They're going to knock things over in your house. But I want you to know that kids need to be able to grow at their own pace. Here's the seventh one. He says, using love as a tool of reward or punishment. I want to encourage you parents, never withhold love from your child as a punishment. God, our Heavenly Father, doesn't do that with us. He loves us unconditionally. For us as parents, we're called to love our children unconditionally as well. And then lastly, parents under no circumstance should we physically or verbally abuse our children. Those are the eight ways that John MacArthur gives us evidence of how we can provoke our children to anger. So that's what we should not do. But he says, here's what we should do. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Christian parents, I want you to hear me this morning. The greatest thing about your child is not the degree that they have or will have. It's not the job that they have or will have. It's not their bank account balance. It's not the spouse that they marry. The greatest thing about your children is whether or not they are walking with Jesus. So sure, invest in all of those other things. Invest in education. Teach them not to marry a knucklehead. But church, above all else, for us as believers, Teach them that the most important thing in their life is their relationship with Jesus Christ. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As we transition to verse 5, I want to pause for just a second and say, kids, you may at this point be thinking, I got a little repair work that I need to do with mom and dad. And I want to encourage you to take an opportunity today to have that conversation. Maybe you've got parents that are older and you need to take an opportunity today to pick up the phone and call them or walk across the sanctuary and hug their neck and honor them today. Maybe moms and dads, you recognize that one of those eight things you find yourself guilty of. 
Maybe you need to ask your kids forgiveness for that this morning. Maybe you've minimized the impact that bringing your kids up and the discipline and instruction of the Lord would have. You've invested your time, effort, and energy in so many other ways. Maybe you need to repent before the Lord of that this morning. As we look beginning in verse 5, the relationship turns from children and parents, that one relationship of authority, to slaves and masters or bond servants and masters. And so really quickly, if you'll listen fast, I'll talk fast, as fast as someone from South Georgia can, okay? What I want you to understand at this point in time is that in Ephesus and in much of the Roman world that about one-third of the population in the Roman world were slaves, now, slavery had many different functions in many different ways. Someone could be in the position of slavery. You had the option of selling yourself into slavery. Maybe you needed a better job or you wanted an opportunity to be able to, to experience prosperity, and so you would sell yourself into slavery. Certainly, as we look at this, that there is a picture of slave trading that was going on at this point, as, even if we look at that as a stain in our nation's history as well. In fact, parents could sell their kids into slavery. There's a lot of ways in which slavery was interwoven in every aspect, every part of society in the Roman world. And in fact, mainly the slaves were the ones who were working in society. And so you had the upper echelon who owned slaves and the slaves were performing most of the job functions. And so as we look at this, what I want you to understand is that Paul is simply speaking into a cultural context he knows exists in Ephesus. Now the question may come in, why doesn't Paul sit back and say, in slavery now? And I want you to notice at this point in time that Christians have very little political influence in the Roman world. Now, what I am incredibly thankful for is when you look through history, what you recognize and see is that at points in time where slavery was in effect, where slave trading was taking place, and even here in the Roman world, as the gospel of Jesus Christ was continuing to be preached, people's lives were being transformed, and you have incredible followers of Jesus standing up and saying slavery is not okay in any form. And so whether you look at the slave trade in Great Britain that was ended through the incredible work of believers like William Wilberforce or William Pitt, pastors like Charles Haddon Spurgeon that preached against slavery, what you recognize and realize and see is that for us as a gospel-believing people who believe that every single person is created with worth and dignity in the very image of God, slavery is not acceptable in any form whatsoever. But Paul's aim here is not to overthrow what's going on politically in this culture. Paul's aim here is simply to speak to believers, many of whom came to Christ very recently. Believers who were slaves, who were working, and believers who were masters. And he speaks to them, beginning in verse 5. I want you to notice the first truth. Slaves are called to obey their masters as they would obey Jesus and to wholeheartedly work as unto the Lord. Paul writes, bond servants or slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, 
with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Don't give them eye service as people pleasers or simply work in front of them as they see you working and then slack off when they're not watching. But as slaves or bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether he is a slave, a bondservant, or is free. As we look at this, what you have to understand is Paul is encouraging believers who find themselves in the unfortunate position as slaves to a master. He says to them, serve your master with dignity, not as if you're serving them, but ultimately as if you're serving the Lord. And so I want us to fast forward in a context now in which none of us are living in this institution of slavery like what they were living in or what our nation has experienced in the past. What I want you to understand is for us, the best way we can look at this passage of Scripture and take principles from it in our own lives is for us as workers. So I want you to think about this in relation to your job, to your employer, That person who is in authority over you, how do you interact with them at work? In fact, Paul says here, obey them with fear and trembling. And then he points deeper than that and says, not just on the outside, but actually with sincerity in heart. Let me ask you that question. If you work for someone else, is that how you would describe your relationship with them? That you are working not for them, but ultimately you are working for the Lord. And you are willing to serve, you are willing to do the best job that you can, whether they're watching or whether they're not watching, because you know that your heavenly Father is always watching. Now think about that in relation to us as believers in a culture that doesn't take this type of approach what impact that has in a lost world. For us as believers, if we serve in this way, if we work in this way, if we do the absolute best job that we can do, whether they're watching or not watching, because we are working unto the Lord and we know that our reward is not a paycheck in the end, ultimately our reward comes from our heavenly Father who gives us blessing upon blessing. Imagine that. If you go into work, if you're working tomorrow, great. If you're not having to work tomorrow, you're going in on Tuesday, what if you took that approach? What if you showed up at your job and you looked at your boss and you say, I don't really like you in your heart, right? But God has put you in authority over me and I'm going to serve you like I would serve the Lord if he was right here. I'm going to work as hard as I can. I'm going to do the best job that I can because ultimately that is what the Lord has called me to do. I want you to notice the second truth. Masters are called to treat their slaves or their bondservants with dignity as fellow children of the Lord, as joint heirs with Christ. This is absolutely where Paul would have lost half the people who were reading this. It says, masters, 
do the same thing to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. See, the prevailing notion at this point in time was for a master to think that they were above their slaves. And Paul looks here and he says, as a fellow follower of Jesus Christ, the foot of the cross is even ground regardless of whether you are slave or free, whether you are slave or master. It does not matter. As we fast forward and we look at our time, if you are in charge of other people, and you are a follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, the way that you interact with those that you are in authority over demonstrates your heart before the Lord. In fact, let me ask you this question. Do you look at your employees and see them as children of God? If they're not believers, do you look at them and recognize that they are created in the image of God and God desires a relationship with them? And for them, they may never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they will see you claim Christ and treat them in the way that they should be treated. I want you to know that to have authority over someone else is an incredible responsibility and an incredible opportunity, Paul says to live out the truth of the gospel at work in your life. I want to ask you if you bow your heads with me this morning and close your eyes and as we transition to a time of invitation this morning. Maybe for you today is a time to get before the Lord as you think about your relationship as a child or a parent, as you think about your relationship as an employee or an employer, as a worker or a boss. And for you this morning, there's been conviction. Maybe kids, you are sitting back and you recognize, I'm not walking in obedience to my parents. And you need to seek the Lord's forgiveness for that and your parents' forgiveness for that. Maybe parents, you're sitting here this morning and you recognize that some of those things that we outlined of provoking your children to wrath, you are guilty of. I want you to know that there is grace, there's forgiveness before the Lord and before your kids this morning. Maybe you have older parents and you realize that you need to honor them well. And you want to make that commitment this morning. Maybe as a parent of a kid, you recognize that there's a lot of things that are vying for your family's attention and affection, but the most important thing that you are committing your life to is to train them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That their walk with Jesus is more important than any of those other accolades they could gain. Maybe you're a worker here this morning and you have a boss that's not fair. You're struggling in your job. You are just skating by, doing as minimal amount as you can. 
Would you realize this morning that you have a boss above your earthly boss? That the Lord is watching and he says to you to work as unto me. And maybe you need to make that commitment this morning. Maybe you're a boss, an employer, and the way in which you have been treating your employees is not honoring to the Lord. And you need to spend some time this morning in confession and repentance before the Lord, recognizing that just because you're the boss doesn't make you better than them. You're called to honor and to respect them, to give them a clear picture that you recognize you too are under authority of the Lord. Father, we ask this morning that you would work in our hearts, that what we read today in your word would convict us and challenge us, encourage us. And even as we think about the incredible freedoms that we have in this country, would you remind us of the greater freedom we have in Christ? And would you call us to live out of that freedom, live out of that identity, make an impact in this world as we relate to authority? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.